Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. I'm Ollie Henderson and today we're going to be talking about hybrid work with Rob Sado, CEO and co-founder of Scoop, a software company that enables hybrid employees to make better decisions on where and how they spend their time. Rob's also a LinkedIn top voice on flexible work and if you spend any time reading about hybrid trends on LinkedIn recently and you've likely seen some of the data from Flex Index which is also created by Scoop and yesterday their most recent research report was released it focuses on the Fortune 500 and key trends in office requirements among large public and private companies I've put a link in the show notes if you want to check that one out Rob and I discussed this research as well as the current state of play among Scoop's customers and the differences in wishes and demands from businesses and individuals. We also talked about attitudes towards creativity and innovation in hybrid and remote organisations and how we manage expectations on managers to analyse yet another variable, work mode data. Finally, as Rob and his wife have a new arrival on the way, we chat about his own experience with flexible work and the journey he and Scoop have gone through before landing on one of the hottest spaces in the world of work right now. From my side, my youngest child starts school this week, which brings to the end two months of the most challenging period of childcare I've ever experienced. So I'll be ramping back up again from the end of this week on LinkedIn and in the newsletter. I'll also be speaking at various events over the coming weeks, including returning to my business school at the University of Nottingham this Friday to discuss bridging the gap between education and work at One EdTech's European conference. So if you're going along to that, make sure you connect with me beforehand. If you're interested in me speaking at your event or with your team, then do get in touch via the link in the show notes. Otherwise, sign up to the Future Work Life newsletter and follow me on LinkedIn to hear the latest. Right, that's enough from me. Let's jump into my conversation with Rob Sado. So Rob, look, great to have you on the show today. Um, Tell me the most interesting thing that you've discovered about the way we work over the past year. I think the most interesting thing I've discovered, and it comes from not just the data that we track and, and the Flex Index that we put together tracks data on more than 6,500 companies across 45,000 offices. They employ more than 100 million people globally. So it's a pretty big data set. Actually it comes from the combination of what we look at, Nick Bloom at Stanford, his data on WFHresearch.com on what do employees want and what do employers want, and data from Castle. And they track uh, this return to work barometer on how many what, what does bad swipe data look like compared to pre-pandemic and yeah. how, how much return to office are we seeing? So we combined these three data sets and we found that employers want about two and three quarters days in the office on average. Mm-hmm. And that's been pretty consistent through 2023. It's like 2.8, 2.75, kind of oscillating in that range. Employees want like 2.2 days a week in the office. So they would rather be closer to two days. Employers would rather be closer to three days. We find in our policy data, so we track how many days employers require employees to come into the office, that that's about two and a half, a little bit north. It's like 2.56, I think. And so the most interesting thing we found is that policy already in the United States, at least, is that equilibrium between what employers mm-hmm. want and employees want. It actually uh, leans a little bit more toward what employers want than employees want. And so when we talk about return to office and where we're at, um, in some ways, we're kind of already there. We're already at the intersection of what employers and employees want. And as a result, we looked at the data for Castle, and Castle basically found that return to office uh, relative to pre-pandemic is effectively flat year to date, basically no movement in the percentage January to July. And so there's always this discussion, at least in the US as we approach Labor Day, 
is there going to be this big return to office? Are we about to see all of the kind of the other shoe drop and policy move? And as a result, everyone's going to go back in. And I think the answer is they're already kind of back to what they're going to be at least. And so it, it, we need to kind of shift forward and realize that two to three days a week in the office, that's that's kind of where we're going to be. And let's start thinking about what it means to normalize around that and how do we enable hybrid work accordingly. And obviously we're making a big assumption here, but um, let's just go for it. When you're saying about, for example, after Labor Day, are people going to come back in their droves? Is that people just wishful thinking, as in and certain people wishful thinking who want to get people back into it, thinking that two and a half pot day in a, in a week average is suddenly going to bump up you know are people thinking well actually this is where we normalize now but there's still more to go or is this where organizations just accept that this is where we are and and they start can actually building strategy around this new equilibrium you know it, it's kind of like the way that primaries work in the united states for mm-hmm. politics for example we've got really vocal people on both sides and you've yeah. got CEOs like Jamie Dimon and others that are kind of pounding the table about how we need to get people back in the office five days a week. And that, you know, that's in the days of yore. That's how the you know, companies were built and strengthened and collaboration happened. And that gets covered a lot, right? The media finds that interesting and wants to cover it. And it's interesting to employees too, because people are afraid that their flexibility is going to be taken away from them. So it gets a lot of eyeballs. On the other side, you have people who are really, really staunch, fully remote. I don't understand why offices exist at all advocates, right? And they push really hard on that. Um, And as a result, a lot of the coverage and discussion gets dominated by those voices, right? The people who are in some ways most zealous on each either side of the return to office or the how do we think about flexible work equilibrium. In reality, the very large silent majority expects the world to be hybrid. And employees in that regard want to be in the office a couple of days a week. It's good for them for socialization. It's good for them for cross-functional collaboration. There's an energy that comes from that. Employers want the same thing and think that if nobody's in the office ever, then you know something kind of like gets lost in that in terms of the ability to build relationships and affiliate with culture. But those people don't bang the table the same way, right? It's just, okay, we're going to be in the office two or three days a week. And so... In some ways, what I think is going to happen is you will see some companies say, okay, we've moved from two days to three days or three days to four days. And those companies will get held out as examples and and people will ask questions in the media about, okay, well, is that the beginning of trend? But I think in the vast majority of cases, we kind of already are where we are. And those just companies that aren't, they're just not talking about it in the same kind of way. They're like, okay, we realize this is the future. Um, And maybe if the economy does poorly and you know unemployment jumps up maybe that number goes from two and a half that we talked about closer to three or maybe if the labor market stays really tight it drops down a little bit but i think we're effectively range bound there and maybe see a little tick after labor day but i wouldn't expect i wouldn't expect like the sea change in the way that we approach the office yeah interesting that delta between employers hopes and employees hopes is actually really quite small isn't it and particularly in that context that you framed there which is that yeah we typically do hear the loud voices either advocating one end or the other so when you said that I thought actually I mean that's you know that seems pretty reasonable doesn't it that there's not too much of a gap but of course these are averages I'm interested with the policy discussion 
the average company, are they mandating a certain number of days across the whole workforce? Are we starting to see some personalization, understanding that certain parts of the workforce are more easily able to work remotely versus others which require more in-person collaboration, for example? How much flexibility within the policy is there or are people going for the easier option of just applying the same across the whole company? I think we're starting to see a fair amount of personalization, and, and I think it kind of happens in a couple of different ways. Most large companies, so when I say large company, think of you know any Fortune 500 kind of like global top 5,000 company is probably going to have populations that fall in all three groups. They'll have some people that are fully remote, you know, in some yeah. capacities. They'll have some people that are hybrid. They may have some people that are full time in office, especially if their jobs can only be done that way. Think of you know facility services, or if you're working on uh, hardware that can only exist in the office, for example. Um, yeah. And so you're already seeing some blending of that, I think, just based on job type and the type of work that they're doing. I think within companies, what we are finding is that if you kind of like narrow to the specific section of the workforce within a company that could work remotely if they were allowed to, right? Like that, that job could be done in that capacity. We're finding that the most popular model is minimum days per week. And so the company will say, okay, we want everyone in at least two days a week or at least three days a week. But then the decision specifically on how that gets played out or what days those are, what it looks like, then gets left up to the function or the team. And the team can come up with its own agreement and say, okay, well, it's two days, but you know, one of those days for us is going to be Tuesday because that's best for um, our own personal schedules and how we collaborate across the company or with external clients. And the other day is floating. Or maybe for our team, it's going to be Tuesday and Wednesday because that's best for us. Then Monday, Thursday, Friday are dedicated at home days. In some ways, I think about it like it's almost like a bowling lane where the company is setting the bumper rails. You know, it's like, okay, you kind of have to stay within this yeah. range, but the teams can find where on that lane they want to bowl. That's, yeah. I think, becoming more popular because it allows some kind of like guidance from the company, but then teams to personalize it in a way that works better for the workforce. It makes me think about that old thing about creativity, that you can be more creative when operating under some constraint. Um, and let's build on that theme of creativity and innovation. I mean, do you get any sense from companies that that's playing into how they're making these types of decisions? Because there's many different considerations about why you might employ one policy over another. But do you have a sense about whether people believe that creativity and innovation is still easier when people are coming together in person or do you see an acceptance or an embrace of being able to do this in new ways, doing it remotely? I, I think it varies by the executive. I think a lot of it comes down to how did you grow up as an executive? Mm. You know, there is this very human belief that when times are hard, you know, the economy is tough. The company isn't growing at the same rate as it did before for whatever reason. There's a desire to kind of retrench back to the things that made you successful in the first place. You know, yeah. uh, when I was growing up, how did I learn the best or how did my team succeed or, or what drove the company to be successful? And invariably for most companies, that means if you look back five years or 10 years, they were largely full-time in office because we all were full-time in office for yeah. the most part. And so I think there's a part of that. And then that that starts to get rationalized in some ways, right? Like, oh, creativity comes because, you know, two of us ran into each other and happened to grab lunch. And you get these stories about like that um, unbelievable serendipity and how that drove company success. I think the data on that in reality, and I've seen some research on this, is somewhat sparse around like 
how many companies were made by the water cooler conversation, yeah. et cetera, you know? Um, and so I think a lot of it comes back to executive sentiment and feel around what kind of like helped or didn't help them over time. A lot of how I think about what we are trying to accomplish with the Flex Index is how do you complement that sensibility with data? Yeah. What actually is happening in our industry? Are we going to be an outlier if we do this? What does that mean for our ability to attract or engage talent? Uh, as you know, we do a podcast that I host, Flex Perspectives, where we interview uh, future of work thinkers and executives. And one of the people we had on was Shujat Ahmad at LinkedIn, who runs their analytics for future of work. And he described it as my job and my group's job is largely to temper executive sentiment with data. And how do we balance that out so we can make good decisions that aren't just reliant on, okay, well, what got us here in the first place? Mm. One of the most interesting studies I did around dynamics between different teams was Sandy Pantland's work um, at MIT. He wrote the book Social Physics. And, you know, there's loads of interesting stuff in there, but there was one thing which is always stuck in my mind, which actually one of the characteristics of really high performing and creative organizations are when you have cross-functional collaboration or serendipity between people from different departments. And I wonder whether this is one area, and it's interesting you were saying about how it's largely a team decision, or at least there's the guardrails and then the team leaders or the managers start then defining further how frequently and on what days people come in. It'd be interesting to see whether that does have any effect on whether you're more likely to have that cross fertilization of ideas. You know, me bumping into the product team or the guys in engineering happen to bumping into people from sales. Because while I think remote first organizations tend to have a lot of those systems kind of inherently built into the way that the organization works, it's a cultural thing. I think those companies perhaps that started off as in person and now adapting to this new hybrid world these are the types of things which only come out in the wash perhaps down the line and again i don't know whether there's any data on that stuff yet but it'll be interesting to see whether you can capture some of these nuances around how organizational culture develops yeah totally i mean one of the things that we do in our in our scoop software so our, our core business you know the, what i do is we, we do software we build software to enable hybrid teams right so how do you generate better visibility for employees on who's working where or planning on working where. So you can coordinate that activity. We go into the office, you do that with confidence, right? So we have teams in you know, 20 countries on six continents that use Scoop for that purpose. And one of the things that we provide to our customers is data. Okay, well, which teams are going in together? What days of the week is it? So you can start to map some of that stuff and figure yep. out who's collaborating with who and getting together, which I think is pretty important. The one thing that I think is important to, to also remember is that em employees are adults right? Like they, they can make their own decisions. They're smart and have agency. And one of the reasons why I think in structured hybrid companies versus you know, remote first, what we often call like employees choice type models, uh, why minimum days per week is becoming popular is that allows the employee or the team to kind of account for some of the things that you're talking about. Who are the groups that they need to collaborate with? Who are the people they care about most and use that as an input at the team level and how they decide. So if you're a product team, maybe one of the days that you choose to go in is the same day the engineering or design or another team is going to be there because that's important. Or as an individual on that team, if they're floating days, you might choose to do Thursday instead of Tuesday because uh, that's when your engineering partner is going to be in the office or that's where your mentor is going to be in the office yeah. or close friends of yours. And so that's why I think that becomes important versus 
uh, the fixed, the entire company has to come in on Tuesday and Thursday. And then you just end up back-to-back meetings the entire day because everybody tries to sandwich that stuff together. And, and I think that that kind of like mixed flexibility, if you will, becomes um, becomes a good model. Yeah. In the recent Gallup data, and it's always the case actually, but um, it was highlighted this year that individual managers, individual team leaders have a disproportionate impact on the level of engagement within their teams. You know, i.e. if you're a manager who feels underskilled, and that's definitely something which is true now, people are having to manage not just the um, functional development of their team, they're also having to think about these different work modes. If you're a poor manager, um, in inverted commas, perhaps you have a far lower engagement score than someone who's managing their team better. So you said before that individual managers are in some cases making a decision about what days people come in, but I wonder whether they're equipped to do so. You know, you, do you see anything about skills and lack of skills? Because I've seen some survey data from managers themselves reporting that they don't necessarily feel like they have the skills to be able to manage their hybrid workforce as effectively as they'd like. Yeah, I think you're right. I'll, I'll raise two points in this regard. Mm. One is I think the average manager in a world of hybrid or remote work has to be better than the average manager was before. Yeah, It used to be that as a manager, small talk and building rapport came somewhat naturally. You know, you're in the same room as somebody, you grab lunch, there are natural opportunities to kind of build those relationships. In a world that's hybrid or where you're a fully remote organization, you have to be much more deliberate in that regard. You can't just jump into a one-on-one, automatically go into the topics that you have to cover from a work perspective and the one-on-one and never build the rapport. Um, That's really painful, right? People won't feel like they're part of an organization or a team. They won't kind of like feel like they have relationships with people they work with. Uh, On top of that, people used managing by walking around as a crutch for years, right? Okay, I can see you in front of a computer and therefore you must be productive. And, And obviously, you know, I can be very productive in the office or not in the office. I can be in front of a screen and do something that's entirely not related to work. And you wouldn't necessarily know that. And so managers have to shift to managing from inputs, like how much time is someone in the office or can I see them to managing to outcomes, right? Are we hitting the metrics or things that we care about as a team? Uh, Yeah. Organizations on the whole are underinvesting in this transition. There's actually some great research that Debbie Lovich at uh, BCG, at Boston Consulting Group, did recently that found that I believe the majority of managers felt like their organization was underinvesting in the shift uh, toward hybrid. And the way that she described it was, you know, look, if if you were to think about any other major organizational transformation, right? you would invest in all of this change management and how do you support and train teams on how to operate differently. Yet we treat hybrid work as if being out of the office is just uh, you know the same thing as if we were in the office yeah. and you can just turn that on overnight and everybody should be able to adapt to that. On top of that, it's extra hard for managers because they have employees that are saying, hey, look, I don't want to be in the office as much or I want to be able to do it this way. And they've got the, you know, the executives saying, well, actually we want it to be that way. And so they get squeezed on both sides. And so I think one of the biggest topics that we'll see over the next few years is how do you train and enable managers to feel like they can be successful, to make good decisions as a team around how do we implement hybrid and feel like they can track and give feedback back to executives on what's working or not. It's an area that I think it's been kind of woefully underinvested in, in the kind of like the early innings of hybrid. 
Yeah, because even some of the things you broke down there, you know, obviously you want to use data to help inform decision-making, but we're talking about adding yet another requirement of a leader to say, well, is there some way that we can incorporate data into the decision-making about how frequently people come in and what days we come in? And I guess your software probably helps people with these types of decisions. So I'm interested in how you make that palatable, as in how do you make it so that the average leader, the average manager can understand that and interpret that data and actually use it to make decisions without it just becoming incredibly complex? Yeah. I mean, it starts just with visibility, to be honest, right? Like the the number one reason why anybody wants to come into the office. And when I say anybody, I don't mean 100% of people, but why the vast majority of people want to go into yeah. the office is just based on who else is going to be in the office. Yeah, Nobody wants to go to the office, show up, have it be empty, spend the day on Zoom and ask themselves why I come in in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the office as a result has shifted from what I would describe as a default to a decision. You know, do I think that the set of activities that are going to happen and the people that are going to be there are worth my commute trip and going and spending the time in the office versus working from home? And so one of the things that we invest in a lot at Scoop is visibility. How do I make it really easy as a manager, or as a team to know who's going to be where or who's planning on working where? We do that in a couple of different ways. One is we allow managers to set team norms. And so when employees are planning their week, you can see certain days circled like Tuesday or Thursday, because those are the days that we aligned on. And it's a good, simple reminder for teams in terms of like, okay, what are our plans and how does that work? It's also helpful when you onboard a new person to the team and they automatically can see kind of like what the principles are around that. Mm. The other is, and a lot of our software is like very embedded into existing tools you use like Slack and Google Calendar and Chrome. In Slack, we send something called a snapshot which is a daily update at the end of the day that says, you know, hey, Rob, tomorrow uh, you're planning on being in the office. Here are the other people in your team who are going to be in or out. Here are your favorite collaborators or friends who are going to be in. You have these meetings and here's who's going to be in person or out. And so effectively, it's like a, a quick set of inputs to help you make a good decision. And as a manager, you have your team or as a team, you can see your, your kind of like your teammates and your manager as well. And that allows for better decision-making on a day-to-day basis around this. And so a lot of our thesis is people are slowly getting more and more used to hybrid, but our tools were built in an era where hybrid work didn't exist. And so if you can use software to bridge that gap and make it seamless and effortless to be able to operate and make decisions on where you work in a hybrid environment, it makes it a lot easier to start to get better at this. Mm. I'm intrigued why you specifically have chosen this problem space because i mean i think having had a quick look at your background i'm sure you've worked in various different industries with organizations of different sizes and different scales of problems and you've come to this um you know is it a timing thing do you just see this as the big challenge of, of the now or is there something involved in the way people are interacting and engaging in this which fascinates you I will tell you, Ali, it is actually a, it is a fascinating and kind of winding journey. I, I wish I could tell you it was very direct. Like I woke up one day and this is what I knew I needed to do, but it it kind of like took a, quite a bit of evolution. I'll tell you a little bit of the story. So yeah. uh, I originally started Scoop with my brother back in 2015. Um, I worked at Bain doing strategy consulting for a bunch of years. And my brother was a product manager at Google. We grew up in Atlanta and my high school 
was 25 miles away from where I lived. And so my experience growing up was commuting like 250, 300 miles a week back and forth to school. Mm -hmm. And so we set out in 2015 to build an entirely different company. We built a solution around commute and how can you use software to enable people to share trips back and forth to the workplace. And we sold it as an enterprise solution to some of the biggest companies in the world, companies like Amazon and Walmart, et cetera. And that company did really well for a bunch of years. In 2020, in March, when COVID hit, commute volume effectively went to zero, yeah. uh, which was the, one of the craziest experiences. I think everybody has their own crazy COVID story, but you, know, you build this company, all of a sudden there's nobody commuting anymore. And so, you know, long story short, we can have another conversation another day to tell you all the gory detail of 2020. We effectively found ourselves in this place in mid late 2020, where we said, okay, we're starting to hear from some of our customers that not only do they not know when COVID is going to end because nobody really knew, but they may not have people in the office full time afterward, that people are adjusting to this and quite like not being in the office every day. And so we had to make this decision. Do we kind of hunker down and we wait and see what happens with the commute or how interesting do we think this kind of like hybrid work opportunity was? And, and we thought hybrid was really fascinating for a few reasons. One was it was a really, even at the earliest instances, it was clear that it was going to be a logistical problem that was pretty meaningful, right? Who's working where, planning on how do you coordinate that? From the work we did on commute, we're very, very good at logistics, and so we kind of found that problem space interesting and our team found it really interesting. The second was one of the biggest motivators for us on commute uh, was the impact from a carbon and kind of climate perspective on reducing vehicle trips. If you can enable people to share trips at scale, the impact would be massive. Yeah. Well, it turned out that hybrid work was potentially going to do more for commute impact than anything we ever could have dreamed of on the commute side, right? In terms of like sharing trips back and forth, you can't compare that with people working from home two or three days a week, you know, on a whole. And so we made the decision to effectively pivot the business and start over with this like orientation toward hybrid work. And it just became more and more powerful to us as a topic over time. And the last piece that kind of really solidified it to me, and you were talking about this earlier in our conversation around personalization, what does it mean? Is uh, my daughter turned two last week. And we have a second one on the way coming soon. And my wife, uh, when our daughter was born, you know, we each took parental leave. I took a shorter one. She took about four months and she went back into work in January, 2020, I guess it was 2022 at that point. And watching how impactful being able to work remotely was for her during that time period when she was adjusting and feeding and tired was the first time I'd ever had a real front row seat to the impact of what the yeah. difference is in different parts of your life. And then, you know, a number of months later, she wanted to be in the office part of the time. Again, like she enjoys that socialization. And now with our second She's excited to be able to work fully remote again for a period as she kind of adjusts through that. And so the realization for me was even the same human being at different points in their life may need and want radically different things. Yeah. And what that means, not only for quality of life, but for participation in the workforce and for different people to be able to access different jobs um, was just so inspiring in terms of what that vision was versus this nine to five, Monday to Friday, everybody has to commute. And if you can't do it, you can't participate. Um, and so it's just become more and more of a passion topic for us over time, the more time you spent with it. Yeah, I love it. 
You've kind of been addressed, looking at this problem, I suppose, a little bit longer than me, but it's only, for me, it's only been the past few years. And actually, it was a slightly different experience. But, you know, we all have these things, don't we? I ran a digital advertising agency for 10 years, and I, it was actually, I exited that business just before COVID. And I sort of fell into writing a little bit about this changing work-life relationship just before COVID started. And then obviously suddenly everybody's work-life collided and um, I've just continued exploring it from there. And it is such a fascinating time. I I described it in my book as the greatest work-life transition in history. And you never had so many people at the same time rethinking the relationship between work and life. And, you know, the way I see it, work and life have to fit together and should complement one another rather than necessarily trading off against one another. And I see the work you're doing, the manifestation of that through technology. And what I'm interested in always is, you know, I think technology can sometimes be a hindrance. It can actually impinge upon our ability to communicate with one another. And I think, you know, I, I've worked in tech for years. It sounds like you've been around it. We have a temptation sometimes to just apply technology to stuff because we think it's going to help. Um, You've already explained how you see this trying to enable people to have visibility on what other people are doing. Where do you see this evolving? Because again, and I I don't want to repeat myself, but what I sometimes fear is that uh, people get blinded by data to an extent. There's so much data being created that it can blind you to that human interaction. I mean, where do you see this going? Do you see organizations having people and analytics teams that specifically look at movement of people between office and fully remote? Do you see this again being something which is managed much more at a team level? What does the future look like in terms of hybrid technology, if you like? I I think it's going to be all of the above, to be honest. I think we are so early in this journey, as you noted, right? Like usually... Any, whether it's technology or trend, whatever the adoption curve is, usually this stuff happens over long periods of time, mm. decades, right? And you end up with early adopters and then people that will you know, follow on afterward and laggards. And because of the experience of COVID, effectively, the entire knowledge worker base of the globe had like an overnight sea change exposure to the concept of remote work. Yeah. And then hybrid work, one of the most interesting things, by the way, if you ever want to go on like Google News and search the archives, search the term hybrid work prior to 2020. You yeah. can't find anything. There are no articles. You know, it is yeah. that wild, right? And now it, you've gone from something that is a term that did not exist yeah. to north of 50% of knowledge workers globally, I believe, are expected to be operating in a hybrid environment over the next couple of years. And so as that happens, the iteration speed and testing is rapid. It's not like there's best practices that have already kind of like been figured out over years and years and people have to apply them. They're learning as they go. And so I think that the largest organizations will certainly invest in a ton of analytics. I mentioned LinkedIn as an example, like they do a lot on this stuff and trying to understand everything from productivity based on days spent in the office to who spends time with who to um, how do we think about how this journey evolves based on the number of years someone's been at the company? I think there's going to be all kinds of different analytics that's also going to get applied and cross-referenced against things like, do we see a difference in engagement if someone's in the office four days a week versus two days a week? Yeah. When we promote people, do we disproportionately promote people that are in the office versus out because we have an out-of-sight, out-of-mind issue? Yeah. What does it mean for diversity, equity, and inclusion in terms of the talent base that we have based on policy? All this stuff will be analyzed ad nauseum, right? And some best practices will evolve around it. 
But I think in reality, what's going to happen in many ways is talent and companies are going to just going to start to sort themselves out. And people will say, look, this is the type of organization I want to be in. I want it to be fully remote. I want it to be full-time in office. I want it to be hybrid because of whatever constraints on my life. I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert, whatever I need. They will find organizations increasingly that match that. And companies will do the same thing and they will pick a stance. And they'd be like, as a company, our culture is X or our values are X. And as a result, this is how we're going to attract people in. And I think the vast majority will be hybrid in some capacity. Some will be fully remote. Some will be full-time in office. Um, but people and companies will kind of sort themselves out. Um, and some of it will be science and some of it will just be feel. I like working like this. I don't like working like this. You know, I want my team to be with me in the office and I want other people who want to be in the office all the time. And in some ways, it's like values. Companies' values isn't designed to be attractive to everyone in the world, right? It's designed to be attractive to that workforce and to people who aspire to that value set. And flexibility in some ways will be a value or kind of like a scale that people will pick, you know, similar to the way that they decide if they want to be top of the market in comp or not, or they want to do kind of like this from a benefits perspective or not, like it'll just become another key criteria. And one of the most important criteria that companies will think through in terms of their own stance on who they are. Mm. This series is, is loosely been around community. So I've spoken to a bunch of companies and thought leaders around what community has come to mean, because I think it evolved slightly. And of course, there's different contexts here. You know, there's the people who are community managers, you know, within an organization and ex engaging external stakeholders or customers. But I think even within companies, the idea of communities changed. I think because that dynamic, you know, how frequently we meet up with one another, the fact that in some cases, we may not have ever met some of our co-workers and you know, now there's an op this opportunity to come together. Just broadly, how do you think about community? What does it mean to you, either as, you know, as a leader of your own business or as you know, somebody who's servicing so many large organizations? What does community mean to you now? It's a great question. It's, it's a complex topic now because um, I think there's a mixture of what is your in-person community look like? What does your kind of like digital or online community look like? How does the time you spend in person with somebody impact the way that you collaborate digitally afterward? Yeah. Um, there's a, a kind of like a professor at, uh, at HBS who has written a lot on this um, in terms of what does co-location even briefly do in terms of the way that you build relationships or collaborate afterward. And so I think community is going to continue to evolve. I think for a lot of people, the community that may have just solely existed within workplace because you were going Monday to Friday, you know, nine to five or eight to six, depending on what your job was, um, is now getting replaced with some time together in office and then a lot more time locally around yeah. people who live in your neighborhood or in your community. And what does that look like? Um, I also know a lot of companies that are experimenting with like totally different digital practices. Like I spoke with someone recently, uh, Tiffany Dufu, who is the, uh, the CEO and co-founder of a company that focuses on enabling women to kind of like build small um, kind of like groups together to better collaborate and mentor each other. And she was saying at her company, one of the things that they do is she has purposely overlapped their Zoom meetings. 
meaning that like the meeting for the next one starts with like with five minutes left in the prior and like, okay, why do you do that? She said, because I want to recreate digitally the little small talk that happens when the person who's about to come in next Uh, comes into the office before the person leaves. And that allows for a little bit more relationship building. And it's not just business to business to business meeting. There's a little bit of overlap where some of that socializing happens. And so I think this stuff is so new and you're going to have everything from people trying to recreate digital offices, as you've seen in some companies, um, and even like a Nintendo type of like, like, uh, like walk around frameworks to kind of like better digital community practices to how do we think about the benefit of getting together even briefly, you know, for longer term benefit in, um, in collaboration. And so I think it's a really new and, and novel kind of like evolution, um, and this seamless mix of in-person and digital is going to change the way we think about community entirely. I like that idea actually about the overlap. That's cool. Um, because actually a lot of the time when I'm spending, um, you know, most people moan about meetings, don't they? Because I think while uh, most people's experiences that there are too many of them. So, um, you know, often when I'm talking with people about meetings, it's leaning more towards ending meetings when they're due to be ended. Whereas actually I quite like that idea of people passing through at the same time. That's quite a nice idea. It was the first time I'd ever heard of it. I thought it was like such an interesting concept. Well, as you were saying that, I was trying to work out, I was trying to picture how that would work technically, but I like that idea sort of wandering in and uh, catching the end of a meeting. It's cool. Um, So look, um, it's really great to speak to you. Um, one question I suppose I'd leave you with, obviously being the master of hybrid and spending a lot of time thinking about this, how do you actually approach it for your company? And I suppose what's the process you've been through as a business to work out what the right approach is? And I suppose from your individual perspective, and obviously your life is about to change uh, again with another child uh, joining the family I don't know if that means you want to go to the office more or less. I'm trying to work that out, but you can tell me. It may depend on the day, yeah. Exactly. What's your journey been with it? And is it still changing rapidly? Are you settling into a certain cadence which works? How does it look? So I probably need to give a little bit more color about how Scoop is kind of like our size and structure, right? So we're about 25 people right now. We have employees largely in the U.S., almost all in the U.S., uh, but they're located across the U.S. A lot of people moved during the pandemic or folks that we've hired after were in different markets. The way that we think about it is we're employees choice. So we don't require anybody to go into the office. We have little concentrations of employees in different parts of the country. So we have a good concentration in the Bay Area, some in Chicago, for example. In the areas where we get enough concentration, we'll get kind of a dedicated office. And people can, usually it's like a co-working space, but like a dedicated office within a co-working space versus like our own, you know, kind of like, um, like kind of like direct lease, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll use Scoop software, obviously, to coordinate when they get together and, and collaborate. That's kind of the way that we think about it over time at this stage, which is um, as we get more and more concentration of employees in different areas, we will open little bits of office footprint in those areas and allow people to collaborate we don't need the kind of structure that a 5,000 or 10,000 person organization has around how they get together. We're small. And a lot of our people are more senior and, um, and further into their careers and kind of like very kind of self-starting in that way. But more broadly, we see a big split on this, right? So small companies that are under 500 employees tend to be more often fully flexible, meaning they don't require employees to come into an office. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a few reasons why that's advantageous at that size, whether it be increasing the scope of a talent pool, 
competing for talent from your larger, more structured peers by offering them more flexibility or saving on real estate costs. Yep. On the other hand, for bigger companies, we see that as you have more complex customer operations, team structure, et cetera, they tend to become more structured, you know, and they require more in-person collaboration. One of the most interesting questions that I'm watching, and we'll want to see what happens over the next few years, is for the small companies of today that have embraced kind of full flexibility, what happens when they grow up? Do they feel the need to be more structured like the larger companies of today, or have they grown up in an era where their processes and culture and technology is better from day one and they can scale flexibility for longer? That might be one of the biggest impact uh, points in terms of like what the future of flexibility looks like, you know, as those companies kind of figure it out. Yeah. Fascinating. Great. Well, look, Rob, really good to chat to you. Anything else you want to leave us with before we wrap up? That's a pleasure to chat with you. If you want to find out more about um, Scoop, you can do it at our website, scoopforwork.com. Um, all of our Flex Index research, as I mentioned, is on our Flex site. So that's flex.scoopforwork.com. I put a lot of our stuff and research out on my LinkedIn as well. So lots of places to go find more if you're interested. And that was my conversation with Rob. Loads of interesting insights in there. As I said at the top of the show, their most recent research report came out yesterday. There's a link in the show notes. so You can download it there. Thanks as ever for listening to the show and I'll see you back here next week.